So the topic that was being advertised for today, we don't have any visitors, but I'll still go through what I wanted to talk about, was the miracles of healing and the baptisms of the Holy Ghost. So to consider the miraculous nature of healing, I think we need to consider its source. And the source is God through Jesus Christ. So I want to talk about Jesus Christ and why we believe, firstly, that he existed. And that will then lead me to the concept of healing and then the personal experience we've all experienced, the infilling of the Holy Ghost and what a wonderful thing that is. It completely changes us, it changes our heart, it changes our mind. The, the miracle of praying in tongues completely transforms us. Well, I think about it, I might just share a little personal testimony on the plane over here. Before I got on the plane, I got on the plane in Melbourne, I had a sausage roll. And I got on the plane and I started getting shooting pains in my stomach. And then I started getting waves of nausea. As the plane was taxiing out, the 737 was taxiing out, and I'm stuck in this seat and I feel like I'm going to vomit, which was, and it's a four-hour flight and all these terrible thoughts were going through my head. And I, all I did was started to pray in the spirit. And the spirit just calmed it down. So I did pray for about two and a half hours. But, and it just calmed it all down. So this is the power of the Holy Ghost that you and I enjoy. That sometimes we may not be able to articulate the particular issue or things in our heart, but the Spirit of God knows exactly what's going on in us and knows exactly how to fix the thing. So in me, it was, well, I was going to be sick, and there's no doubt about it. Uh, and God, I think it was food poison, actually, that's what it would be. And God healed it on the plane. So that is the power of the Holy Spirit, just praying in the Spirit. You think that. Oh, maybe you just it's, you're in, become endowed with the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit when we pray in tongues. But it's more than that. It actually has a, a physical impact on us as we pray. As a sister testified that she was healed of depression. As we pray in the Spirit, the Spirit does this physical healing in us, which I'll talk about also. So, yeah, that's a little testimony. <clears throat> so... For me, the existence of Jesus is proven in three ways. The first is the historical Jesus. The second is the biblical Jesus. And the third is the personal Jesus. So let's talk about, well, I'm going to talk about it, you're going to listen, the historic Jesus. Let's start with history. There are a number of historians who wrote about Jesus Christ. Flavius Josephus, remember him? Oh, good. He's dead now, but <laughs> he was the first Roman Jewish historian uh, who wrote a book called um, The Antiquity of the Jews, about 94 AD, and, it, and Joseph Cephas's writings were recognised as a genuinely scholarly work. And in those writings, he ref had two references to Jesus Christ. So the first which, quote, which comes from the Book of Antiquities, says, now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. And the second quote from the same book is, he was the Christ, and when Pilate, at the suggestion of principal men amongst us, condemned him to the cross. So Josephus certainly recognised that Jesus was something above all other men and that he was indeed crucified. So he was a historical figure. He did exist. The Babylonian Talmud, 
which is the second historical reference, is a huge collection of doctrines written by those that hated Jesus Christ. And the Talmud was written by the Pharisees at the time, 200 AD, uh, formed a set of Pharisaical teachings, and they were not flattering of Jesus Christ, but they spoke of Jesus. And so Jesus, yes, Jesus did exist. And today, scholars universally accept that. So that's that's a historical Jesus. I'm not going to spend too much time on that. The second one is the biblical one. We, we uh, yep. So the Bible is a historical document, and um, refers to archaeological, or well, has historical things in it, places um, in it that were proved archaeology that existed. So the the Bible is a historical document proven in archaeology. Such places, Jericho and Haran and Megiddo and Bathsheba, excavated as based on the Bible narrative and they found things there. So Jesus is recorded in the Bible. So we view, you can review the Bible as a historical document also. The Bible is also a prophetic document. We don't even know what's going to happen next week. And yet the Bible foretells or well, first of all, of his first coming, which is the 70-year prophecy, 70 weeks prophecy, sorry, or 490 years from 453 BC up to 30 AD, about the coming of Jesus Christ. And the second prophetic writings was principally in Psalms that referred to Jesus in his last 24 uh, four hours of his life. And a number of prophecies, I think there's between 20 and 30 prophecies were fulfilled in the last 24 hours of his life. So, amazing. So yes, Jesus did exist. I won't go through the 70 weeks prophecy, that is definitely a talk of itself, but it is probably the singularly of itself uh, the most easily um, demonstrated prophecy in the Old Testament by far, 70 weeks prophecy, because all these things are, are well established a wonderful prophecy. Prophecy is amazing. But if you were like me, before I come to the Lord, I went, well, well okay, yeah, well, Jesus existed, but what's that got to do with me? I figure 2,000 years ago, I couldn't see any connection. So it's the personal Jesus that really gets us, isn't it? The Jesus Christ that comes and lives within us. Jesus who did the wonderful works according to, to um, Josephus. And this is the Jesus that I want to talk about. So Luke 4 and verse 18. This is a great summary of summary scripture of the ministry of Jesus Christ and what Jesus came to do. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of the sight of the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. 
So there are three aspects of healing in this one scripture that is available to every human being. It's not only just the broken arm. The broken arm, and to be asked, asked God for healing, is actually pretty straightforward in my mind. And that is covered by the recovering of the sight of the blind. That's the physical aspect of the healing of ministry and ministry of Jesus Christ. But there are two others. And to heal the brokenhearted is an emotional healing. Healed of grief, healed of sadness, healed of depression. This is what God has, Jesus Christ has also set us free from. And the third one is deliverance of the captives. That is the spiritual healing, where we receive the Holy Spirit and we are set free from the fear of death that has captive over our life, that, 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 that big void at the end of our life, that darkness, no idea what's going to happen there. And Jesus Christ has set us free from that that concept of being captive. So the physical healing of Jesus Christ, we have many documented um, accounts. PNG has an incredible history of, tes of testimonies of healing, uh, of um, AIDS in particular, before and after documented evidence of cancers and hepatitis C and motor neuron disease and Pretty well every disease you care to mention, I think, has been healed. This is all supernatural. Any healing is supernatural because it's not natural. It's therefore, by definition, supernatural. It doesn't matter what it is and it doesn't matter how small it is, it is supernatural. And that always excites me to think that uh, God is supernaturally working in our lives to heal and to change our bodies, to heal our mind. I think that is the biggest healing, to, to, to get our thinking straight because the, the, the inches between our ears is our biggest overcoming. And the word of God sets a course for us on how to think and how to behave in every situation. And there is a scripture for every situation that we may find ourselves. And sometimes you get in a situation and you just pray, Lord, what is my scripture for this? Please reveal to me the, the scripture that I can hang on to, that I can pray over, that I can believe upon, that I confess, that you can work in my life. So uh, the healing of our mind to become connected and in line and aligned with the will of God is the biggest one, that our lives are aligned with what God wants us to do. And I think that is all our prayer, isn't it? That we're not sort of just serving the Lord at by ourselves, but we're working with the Lord and he is setting a path for us and we're following the path. We might deviate off it and then we read the scripture and go, well, let's pull, back, pull ourselves back. So healing of our mind is for me probably more powerful than physical healing so that we stay connected with the Lord. I mentioned the emotional state that God heals us from. Fear, guilt, anger, to set us free from a broken heart, to set us free from grief. If you've lost a loved one, for example, I lost my brother in the Lord for 10 years ago and 
I was inconsolable. And yet God, three weeks later, took that grief away. And that was impossible for me, that grief. And I'd be at work and I'd just be working away and then I'd think about something to do with him and that was it. I had to pack up and go home. And God intervened in that situation and took away my grief. That is the powerful emotional healing that we can get from God. When it is beyond us, you know, you've read all the scriptures, you've done everything you can do, okay, Lord, you need to intervene in this situation now. I'm going to hand this situation to you and you need to fix it. You are the God of everything. You can do anything you want and you can fix this situation in my life. That's a great spot to be when we have this expectation of God. But I expect this of you, Lord. You are my father, I'm your son, Jesus is my brother, and I expect you to sort this out. I love being in that spot with the Lord. In a humble sort of way, you know, just want to get to you. God doesn't press the smite button or something. <laughs> yeah. The brokenhearted. And of course, the spiritual healing this, that I've spoken about before, which is the receiving of the Holy Ghost, which is still the most wonderful thing that you will receive in your life. And if you get nothing else from the Lord, we get many things from God. But if you get nothing else from God, you receiving the Holy Spirit is the most amazing thing you will ever experience in your life because now you've become connected with the creator of all things and you are at the source of all power and knowledge and wisdom and goodness and forgiveness and overcoming. They're all bound in the gift of the Holy Ghost, which you now have received. What a wonderful gift we receive from him. So, change tact. There was a religious leader that existed at the time of Jesus Christ and he dedicated his life to destroying the church that Jesus had set up. Who is that guy? Bingo. Paul followed Judaism. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a zealot, and he made it his life's work to destroy the church. And he took great pleasure out of it because he gave them great kudos that he was taking out this sect, which it was called in the Bible, this sect, taking him out. And yet he became one of the most significant leaders in the New Testament church, spreading the gospel throughout the Mediterranean region, writing, I think, 14 of the letters of the New Testament, if you include Hebrews, which I think he did write. Why did he change? What happened? to Paul that would leave that would cause him to leave a life of pursuing um, this life of fame, if you like, being a Pharisee of the Pharisees, well known, well respected, oh Paul, oh you're wonderful and how good are you? To being whipped and beaten and shipwrecked and hungry and cold. That was his life. The things you must suffer for my name's sake, the Bible says. So let's look at some of those. The, the attitude he had, the questions he asked. So Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. This is named at visitors, of course, but we can always learn something from this ourselves. 
Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, and Saul, I'll just wait and be patient. Patient is not one of my virtues. <laughs> I'm very impatient at traffic lights. This is a confession. Standard track, oh, come on, come on, change, change. <laughs> I can wait 10 years for God to do something in my life, but at traffic lights can't wait two minutes. A bit of inconsistency there. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogue, that he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, which was his name, why do you persecute me? And Paul asked, well, his name was changed to Paul, Paul asked this critical question, who are you, Lord? That is the question we all ask. Or we can ask it in another form, where are you, Lord? Do you exist, God? So these are the sort of questions he was asking. These are the fundamental questions we ask when we come to the Lord. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. So Paul asked this question, who are you and what does this all mean? No different for us today. Is there a God? That was my question. I sat laid on my bed. I prayed. I thought the prayer. <laughs> are you there, Lord, was my little prayer to God. And two weeks later, I was baptised and filled with the Holy Ghost through the Bible centres at that time. Was God immediately started working in my life and reorganising a set of circumstances where I then came to hear the gospel and it was life-changing. So those wonderful words, are you there, Lord? Is there a purpose to my life? There is a purpose to be the son and daughter of our, of our God. That is our identity. If you want to know what your identity is, that's your identity. Is you're a daughter or a son of the living God. Whether you're an engineer or an accountant or you have a landscaping business or you collect the rubbish or whatever it is or you're a mum at home, that is not your identity. That's what you do, but that, doesn't, that does not define you. What defines you is what the Bible says we are, that we are the sons and daughters of God. That is our identity. That's who we are. So this personal experience called the infilling of the Holy Ghost reveals Jesus Christ to us. It's the revelation of God. When we receive the Spirit, when we speak in tongues, we re it's actually the Spirit of God that brings the revelation. The tongues is a manifestation of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that brings the salvation to us. Tongues is associated with that. And God made it so that it was um, impossible to deny it. A language you've never learnt. What a way. Why not a red dot on your forehead or another two inches in height or something? No, he gave you this language that you don't understand and that you can't make up. So that it's undeniable that you have the Holy Ghost. That's why we speak in tongues. God had to define it for us. 
So we become completely convinced by it. So this experience changes us. It takes away our drug drug addiction, takes away brokenheartedness. It sets us free from, for me, from my own decision-making that I can trust God that he directs my life. Because we cannot see 10 years into the future, five years, two years, one week, but God can. And as we commit things to him, he directs and leads our path, sometimes in directions we may not even agree with. But he knows the beginning from the end, he knows where our life will end up. And if you go on this course, which looks fine to us at the moment, ends up in not such a good place, we want to be on that course with the Lord. So he sets us free from our own decision-making and every decision we make. Lord, I want you to have your hand upon this. Lead me in the way you want me to go. What a place to be. We can ask those questions of our creator. He gives us hope and purpose, the receiving in the Holy Spirit. And for me and for you, it is the proof of God. It's not some pious religious ceremony of the waving of smoke and fancy garb and you have received ye, receive ye the Holy Ghost and nothing happens. It is the wonderful infilling of the Holy Spirit and you speak in tongues. It's tangible, it's personal, it's real and it connects us to the creator of all things. This is who we worship, this is who we follow, this is who we love. It's not some pie in the sky, you've got to believe what I say. That's what I love about the gospel. It's you and God ultimately. The church is a safe place, a sanctuary. We come and we learn and get encouraged, but it's you and God. That is the strength. I love that. It becomes my responsibility. John 16 verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient or the best for you or to your advantage for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So the purpose of Jesus coming was twofold. To die for our sin, which I never understood before I come to the Lord, and to send back the comforter, this wonderful gift. This is the purpose of Jesus Christ. And we receive this gift of speaking in tongues as a part of the Holy Ghost. In 2006, the University of Pennsylvania did some studies on speaking in tongues. Five ladies. And it was subsequently reported in the New York Times. You can Google it for yourself and find it. They used digital imaging equipment on the five ladies to monitor what happens to the brain when they spoke in tongues. The conclusion of the study was, and I'll read it to you, researchers found that the frontal lobes, which I think is here, <laughs> somewhere, it's, it's in here, this is the... <laughs> the frontal lobes, the thinking, a willful part of the brain through which people control what they do was quiet. 
So it doesn't come from your language processing part of your brain. When you speak in English or whatever, there is a part of your brain that lights up. Speaking in tongues, it comes from another part of your brain. So therefore, it's not from you. It comes from another source. This is determined by science. The non-language processing part of the brain. And our language processing part becomes quiet. This is the presence of the Holy Ghost in us. It is not you. You don't make up tongues. It comes from another source. It comes from the entity that is the Holy Ghost, that is Jesus Christ, that is part of God. This is what you receive. This means that the Holy Spirit is real and speaking in tongues is real. 1 Corinthians 14, last scripture, verse 2. For he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men but unto God. So we have this ability to communicate directly to God. Romans 8 talks about this same thing where sometimes we don't know what we're going to pray for, yet the Spirit of God knows and identifies it in us what's wrong and communicates that via this ability of speaking in tongues to God. So yes, we can articulate it in English, no problem. You can try to define it. You pray to God in English or whatever language you like to pray in. But the Spirit of God, through the ability to speak in tongues, identifies it also. That's what Romans 8.26 says to us. A wonderful gift. So, in conclusion, Jesus Christ was recognised by the scholars of the time. Science gives us insight into the supernatural aspect of speaking in tongues. And we can experience that ourselves. We can prove God for ourselves. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. That's it.